What a glorious day that will be, amen? We want to welcome you to Arden first. If this is your first time or you've been visiting, you're a special guest. We want you to feel right at home. We have people from all different walks of life that attend here. And uh, as I like to tell people, whether you're Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Episcopal, if you like Jesus in the Bible, you get along great here at Arden first. So we welcome you. We're going to be in Luke's Gospel, chapter number 8. There's also a listening guide in your bulletin. If you want to open up, you can follow along with that. Um, this week, as some of you may have seen my Facebook pictures. We had an interesting occurrence. On my way to church, our van door fell off. Um, it actually happened right before we pulled out of the driveway. I had the kids all buckled in. And then the next thing I know, when I go to shut it, the door just crashes and uh, the kids are like, how are we going to make it to church? We've got to go to VBS. And I was like, well, I don't know. So I did a little Appalachian improv, and we actually didn't take If you're wondering if I took the kids in that, no, I took my parents' car. Um, but I, I finally was able to get the door. My neighbor helped me till 10 o'clock at night to get the door halfway on. And then I used the rope to hold the rest on. So, you know, your pastor has to make things happen sometimes. But... You know, it's funny when a car, you know, has complications. Sometimes that can be humorous, but it's not so much when a life is falling apart. Have you ever thought that you should be further in life than you are now? Like people just seem to be getting ahead of you, and you're like, I wish I was further down the road than where I'm at in my age and stage in life. Have you ever been to church and you walk away and it just, you didn't walk away with anything and you're just like, that, that, that was boring I didn't really get anything out of the message. It put me in Sleepville. It put me in the biblical land of Nod. Now, don't nod your heads because <laughs> we've all been there. So today I want you guys to lean into God's word because we're going to talk about sowers, keepers, and reapers. And how, how we hear God's word impacts our lives spiritually. I don't want you guys to end up like my car, falling apart spiritually. I want you guys to, to be fertile soil. So we're going to talk about a sower, a farmer. Does anybody have an agrarian background where you're farming, livestock? Raise your hand. I don't know where Benny's at, but he's in the other room. He definitely does that. So there's, there's a lot of farmers. And Jesus uh, picks up where we left off last week. We talked about the woman. You remember the PG-13 message? If you missed it, you should look it up. But there was an immoral woman came to Jesus, and it was... Uh, quite a scene and caused a lot of drama. So today we pick up in chapter 8 from Luke's Gospel. And if you look at your listening guide, just um, a little background. The word here is used nine times in this passage. And the word here means not just listening, but it's recept receptivity. It's being able to respond. Now for those of you married men, you know what it's like when your wife says, Are you listening and you're like, you can repeat everything they said verbatim. You were listening, but you weren't hearing. Any of you guys ever get in trouble? Like, I can almost quote verbatim what my wife said, but I was distracted. And she's like, you're listening, but you're not hearing. I see some elbows going. And that's a sermon for another day, how men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti. You know, women, everything's interconnected like spaghetti. And men, you're in your waffle box of, I can only do one thing at a time. It's hard for me to hear you and watch ESPN at the same time. Okay, I digress, rabbit trail. So we're going to pick up in verse 1 of 8. And Jesus is going to talk about how to have 
good skills of hearing and responding to God's word. So the question we're going to ask is, how do you respond after you hear God's word? What's your response? Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Now it came to pass afterward that Jesus went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women who have been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom came seven demons. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. So before we read verse 4, this is quite intriguing because, as we know, in the Jewish culture, you know, many women were kind of in the background. And Jesus is using women to help him in his ministry. So this is kind of like, what is he doing here? Okay, pick up in verse 4. And when a great multitude had gathered, and they came to him from every city, he spoke by way of a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, and it sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold or a hundred times as much. And when he had said these things, Jesus cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest is given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. He quotes out of Isaiah. So we'll talk about what he meant in a moment. Verse 11, now the parable is this. So Jesus gives us the explanation. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones that hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, and those who have no, and they have no root, who believe for a little while, and in time of temptation they fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they heard, They go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Let us pray over God's word. Father, we know your word's exciting. And Lord, we know sometimes uh, Jesus steps on our feet, and sometimes it's a challenging word. So, Father, I pray that this word will be both inspiring, encouraging, as well as challenging. So, Lord, we could determine what heart we're like, what soil we are like. So, Lord, speak to our hearts. Help those of us who have ears to hear. Let us hear what your Spirit's saying to us. For those who have rocky hearts, we pray you'd remove the stone and give us a heart of flesh. For those who have thorns and growing up in their life, choking out the word and the progress of spiritual growth, we pray you pluck the thorns out, pluck the weeds out. Father, for those of us who are wayside listeners, that we the word goes in one ear and out the other and really no response. 
Speak to our hearts. I pray, Father, that we'd be smart sowers in the gospel and that we would reap a harvest of righteousness if we don't give up, don't lose heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Jesus is talking about a farmer. This could easily be a VBS message. You have a farmer. He's got a field and he's sowing seed. And some of the seed falls on soil that's not conducive to growth. And other seed falls on soil that really grows and takes root. So today I want to give you guys a message on how to be a smart sower. How do we sow the gospel? How do we sow in such a way that we're going to reap? So the first point is this. Smart sowers invest in that which is eternal. Smart sowers invest in that which is eternal. I had a friend in seminary that was connected to Gateway Church in Plano, Texas. Some of you read Robert Morris's book, The Blessed Life and others. And he was talking to Pastor Morris about his church. And Robert was telling about a story about an 08 when the economy crashed. Many of us have experienced economic recession since 08. And this gentleman that was a businessman came to Pastor Morris and said, you know, I'm really struggling. All my businesses failed. And I, I really kind of regret I gave so much money to the church. When his business was doing well, he gave a substantial amount of money, and he was tempted to ask for it back because like all my investments fell, and I kind of wish I had that money back. And uh, what would you do if you were in that situation? You know, well, let me talk, call the secretary, make sure we haven't spent it. I don't, I don't know what I would do, but Robert Morris said, well, let me ask you a question. All those investments that you invested in the stock market, in your businesses, what happened to all those investments? He said, well, uh, that's why I'm here today. They they crashed. I went bankrupt. The the money's gone. He said, the investment you invested in this church and in the kingdom of God, where is that investment? And obviously, the investment was continuing on. They were reaching people. And I I don't know the end of the story. I, I think he didn't get the money back. But the moral is this. Invest in that which is eternal. There are two things that endure forever we've talked about. It's the word of God and the souls of people. In verses 1 through 3, we have women. So all the ladies in the house, you know, shout out to you. Statistically speaking, throughout history, women have stepped up in the church. I can remember even when I was a little baby in church and Sunday school, when I was four and five, guess who pretty much ran the church? The kids ministry, all the different Sunday school classes. The majority were, guess who? Women. And has it changed today? Women are still stepping up, still making a difference. And that seems, you know, we're used to that. But in Jesus' time, when women were not considered on the same level as men, and that, that wasn't God's plan, that was just culture, Jesus elevates women. And he says, listen, I'm going to use you. Now let me ask you a question. Did Jesus need the women's support? Did, 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 let's rephrase it this way. Does God need anything from us? We're talking about the same Jesus that took a little boy's lunch and fed 5,000 men plus women and children. He doesn't need anything from us, but Jesus wants something for us. So when you look at the glide tidings and you look at Jesus investing and allowing these women to invest, we're going to talk about that in a moment. The reason why these women invest is because they were glad tidings. So it brings the question, what's so good about the good news? What's so good about the gospel? I'm glad you're asking that question. And you're listening, guy, there's 10 things. There's many more than this, but I've come up with 10. 10 amazing truths that maybe some of these inspired these women. The Bible says they gave of their substance. 
Some of these women were wealthy. They gave money. They, they helped with food. They, they did a lot for Jesus and his disciples. Number one, the good news is that God still loves you. Now imagine a world that thinks that God doesn't care about them. Imagine a world where they think God's mad at them. And in Jesus coming saying, God loves you. God has a plan for you. It's as simple as John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. We find that in John three sixteen. Number two, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Isn't that good news in a bad news world? I mean, you turn on any news station you can think of, and usually it's bad news all day. And I don't know why. I'm sorry, some of us watch it all day. It's bad news, bad news. I've come to give you good news in a bad news culture. God has a plan for every human being on planet Earth. And it's a wonderful plan. Now, Satan's plan is to kill, still and destroy. God's plan is to give you life in it more abundantly. Amen. The good news is that Jesus died in your place so that one day he can take you to his place. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you in John 14. The good news is that God can handle all of your sins and forgive them once you ask for forgiveness and repentance. Past, present, and future, they're nailed to the cross. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see an ain't, he sees a saint. Someone that's pure, blameless, and without fault. That's good news. The good news is that just like these women in verses 1 through 3, you're part of something bigger than yourself. You're part of the kingdom of God. We can support many organizations and institutions that do good. It's good to give to organizations like the Red Cross and humanitarian causes. All that we should do as Christians, but never let us forget Jesus Christ is the only hope of the world. You can give someone food, and we should, but never forget that Jesus is the bread of life. You can give someone water, and we should, but never forget that Jesus is the only one that can quench the thirsty soul. The gospel is the only hope, because Jesus Christ is the only hope for the world. And that's why these women invested their time and their money, their resources. Number six, good news. Someone say good news. You're now part of something bigger. Your story has significance because you're part of history, his story. See, my story is small and minuscule in one little speck. But whenever my story and your story collide with his story, we make history. And we're part of something bigger called the kingdom of God. So that when you live your life for Jesus Christ and you invest in the two things that endure forever, the word, word of God and the souls of men, even after you breathe your last breath, you leave a legacy on for the future generations. And you are part of history. And history continues on. Number seven, you're now God's ambassador. I told the first service that your job as a good news presenter, a person that gives out good news, is so important. I would, I would suggest that it's more important than being the president of the United States. Because the president gets voted in the office and out of the office, but the gospel lives forever. Leading people to Christ in eternity, to me, that's the greatest opportunity, even greater than opportunity being president. Amen. This is going to fire up some of you who want to go home and share the I mean, I, I get to tell people how to avoid eternity in hell and live eternity in heaven. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Now, being president is amazing too, but I think giving the gospel is something eternal. All right, number eight. The good news is that your God is preparing a new place for you that's out of this world, pun intended. It's amazing. A new heaven, a new earth. The new city is going to descend on the new earth, and we're going to be living in the new earth, and it's going to be amazing. Number nine, the good news is that you'll receive a new body. And everyone that's struggling with pains and arthritis and health issues said, amen. 
I had a college pastor at Biltmore Church that he was kind of a shorter guy, and he said, you know, I've already told Jesus what kind of body I want. I want to be six foot six with a six pack, and I've already prayed. So when I get to heaven, we'll find out whether Jesus answers his prayer, but you've got a glorified body waiting for you. Doesn't get sick, doesn't get old, doesn't get tired. It's going to be amazing. Timothy, you've got to speed up. We're just in the introduction. All right, I better, I better hurry up. All right, number 10. The good news is that God now lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit currently resides in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead will rise you from the dead. will help you with depression, with discouragement. So we see in this text that Jesus did something phenomenal for his culture. He used women. So let's look at these women. Mary Magdalene. She was possessed by seven demons before she came to Jesus. Now, would you want to meet this girl out, out in town before she came to Christ? I, in my ministry, uh, by God's grace, a little over 20 years now, maybe 21 on 21, um, I've met some people, men and women, that I thought maybe were demon-possessed. So I can count them on one hand. And I, those are the type of people you don't want to be around. They're very destructive you pray that God would, would help them. But Mary had seven demons. In other words, she was out of control until she met the master of her soul. And he changed her. So her response is she's supporting Jesus. Joanna, she was from a wealthy family. Her husband, Cusa, was King Herod's money manager. Now, for those of you who are Bible students, we've got to trace back Herod. This is Herod Antimus. His father was Herod the Great. Something significant about Herod the Great, when Jesus was born, what did he try to do to Jesus? He tried to kill him. Now, I want you to get the irony in this text. So you have Herod's son, Herod Antipas, whose daddy tried to kill Jesus and all the boys two years and under. So now you have his son and his son's money manager, at least his wife, is a Christian. So Herod tried to kill Jesus and now... Herod's son's money is going to support Jesus' ministry. I mean, isn't it amazing how God works? You try to kill Jesus, you're not going to kill him. You try to stop the work of God, you're not. And by the way, someone that is making money from being in your palace, they're, they're getting a royal paycheck that's going to support the ministry of Jesus. That's how God works. You can't stop the good news. Amen. Susanna and others, they gave to support Jesus and his ministry. Now, something that really encourages me is God didn't need anything from these women, but he wanted something for these women. In the same way, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need anything from you, but he chooses to use you as a co-laborer. So whenever we invest money or time or talent or treasure, we're investing in something that which is eternal. And something these women got that we need to get is there's nothing wrong with having businesses. Some of you are successful business owners, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with making great resources. But here's the thing to realize. Invest in those things which are eternal. Use worldly wealth to make a difference in the kingdom. Amen. And that's what these women got. Number two, smart sowers. They keep on sowing despite challenging circumstances. So we're going to read in verses 4 through 15. I got to go get I have some props down here. So if you're wondering if I'm going to walk through the aisles and spit and, you know, old time, I'm not going to do it. I'm just getting some props here. So in, in verses four through 15, we have the sower, the farmer. He goes out and sows. And the first thing to realize is 
that in the Palestinian culture, they would harvest crops. It was like late October, early December. That was the time of sowing season. So they, they would go and they would sow. But notice this farmer had several setbacks. Only one out of four soils worked. Only 25% success rate. Now, if you're a farmer, that's kind of discouraging. You know, like these four soils, only one worked. In verses 9 through 10, Jesus quotes Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. That when I present these parables... That seeing they may not hear and hearing they may not hear. He quotes from Isaiah 6. You guys know that passage where Isaiah gets his vision of God and he says, Here I am, Lord, send me. And basically the purpose of the parables is to reveal truth to those who are seeking after truth. And to those who like reject Christ, it's to hide truth. Because here's the thing about God, and this is a warning for all of us believers. If you don't respond to the truth that you have... God doesn't have to give you more truth. Did you realize that? Like if I'm not obeying the revealed will of God for my life now, God doesn't have to show me more truth. He responds, and as we're receptive, he gives us more light. But when we stop obeying, all of a sudden we're not hearing from God as we used to. You know, the inspiration that we used to get, we're not getting. So that's kind of a warning from Isaiah. That's kind of like people... Whenever you hear a Sunday school lesson or a sermon at lunch, you're dissecting whether it was good or bad versus how did this change me. I once had a professor that gave the class a challenge, and he basically said, no matter how boring the preacher, you can get one truth that will change your life. So as as a young 18-year-old sitting through seminary classes, there were a lot of boring preachers. But his words rang in my mind, get the one truth, Timothy, one truth. You may be almost about to fall asleep right now. Some of you today may be about falling asleep. But get the one truth that will change your life. Be receptive. So Jesus explains the meaning of the parable. What does the seed represent? Someone tell me. The seed represents the word of God. So the sower would often get a big bag and he would just cast the seed out. And some of the seed would fall on good soil. Other seed would fall on different places. So... The first one is the trampled soil. So the, the, the sower takes the seed and he throws it and it's the wayside. The wayside is trampled soil. So he takes the seed and he throws it out and it, it's wayside. Don't worry, George, I'll clean it up later. It's, it's wayside. I can't hit anybody. You're too far back. So it doesn't really work. It falls on this wayside soil and people trampling it and the birds come and steal the seed. So that's like when you share with somebody in your life, you share the gospel and they're like, that may be good for you. Or they say, I'm a believer, but there's no evidence. Their heart has been trampled. And let me let me read some description I wrote down. This person often says no to to what God has asked them to say yes to. They minimize personal sin. When others try to correct you, you almost put, try to put them back in their place. Like, you can't tell me. Everyone else is wrong while you're usually right. You guys know someone like that? Um, you typically don't feel any emotions when others are hurting because it doesn't personally affect you. I, I'm, I'm going to tell a few stories, and none of these stories are about anyone in this church. So don't try to think, who is he talking about? It's no one in this church. But I had this recently I had a story with a lady, 
all of her adult life has been lived apart from God. And she still claims to be a Christian, claims to be a believer, but there is no evidence. And when you try to throw seed, all of a sudden it just it, it bounces off. The birds take it. It's one ear out the other. And the idea, as I mentioned, the word here is used nine times. It's hearing in a way to respond, not just another sermon, another lesson, another Beth Moore, another, and there's no change. We need to have receptive hearts. Otherwise, it's like the seed that fell along the wayside. Now, I have a few pictures I'm going to show in Israel just to kind of show you guys how this is like. This first picture is a picture of a field. So you kind of have the big view of it. Okay, let's go ahead and flip to the next one. The next one is some people walking through. You notice how rocky the landslide is in Israel. Very rocky. And they're trying to, you have to take the rocks out to make it good. All right, let's look at the next one. And the wayside wonder, the seed that we just threw out, it's so hard, there really can't be anything that really grows. All right, let's look at the next type of listener. This is the shallow seeker. As I mentioned, there's four types of soils. Each soil represents a different type of here, a different heart. The rocky soil, and I have a jar, and you guys are welcome to come look at these afterward. Thanks to Miss Judy and Mr. Steve for helping me with this. This one's got rocks all in the soil. And it's hard when you're trying to grow something. How many of you grow gardens? Anybody? You're trying to grow something, and there's rocks that really stop the roots from growing. And he says the rock, it starts to grow, but it never really comes to any fruition. This is the shallow seeker. This is the type of person you say they're a mile wide and an inch deep. They're so busy, they seldom have time for spiritual life. They may have made a profession of faith, but it's really never had any changed. It's kind of like the same old you with a little Jesus on the side is their mentality. They get excited about a lot of things, and then they just fizzle out. Um, one guy I was listening to, was, uh, it was uh, Chip Ingram, one of the, the Bible teachers. He said, this is like the Alka-Seltzer Christian. Any of you guys ever taken Alka-Seltzer for your stomach? You drop it in the water, and what happens? It fizzes, and then it fizzles out. So this is the type of person that shows up for your women's Bible study. They're excited. I'll be back next week. You never see them again. This is the type of person, they're, they're really excited to be in your men's study or your Sunday school class. Or, I mean, and they come, and then all of a sudden they just disappear. Very emotional, very all over the place. So uh, when I was a church planner, and my parents will laugh because they knew who I'm talking about, but there was this guy, he was probably mid-40s, and um, very, very, very nice guy. Uh, he would be the type of guy any church would want to have. And we were sitting in a life group one day, and he just started crying. And he said, Timothy, you're my pastor for life. And he just started crying. I love you, man. And just in front of everybody, I'm like, whoa, got a little bromance going on here. This guy's poured out his heart. I mean, what's, what's going on? And he's like, you're going to be my pastor forever. I've never met anyone like you. And it started going off. And I said, well, thank you, brother. God bless you. Within probably a month or two, he was gone. No notice. I'm still his pastor for life. I just haven't talked to him in years. So this is the Alka-Seltzer Christian. They just get so excited. But it's not just about church. They're way, that way about everything in life. From one thing to the next, Jesus is just a fad for them, unfortunately. So the seeds showed great progress, but its growth was cut short because of lack of depth and water. 
And some people's hearts are just like this soil. They start so well, but something is lacking in their character. They have shallow arrows in their life. And they're not getting the water of the word of God in their lives. So all of a sudden, the rocky soil, their growth is halted. All right, we find a third type of soil, and that's the thorny soil. And I, I, sh- I should have got some in my yard because uh, with, with everything going on with the puppies, most of you know my situation. I'm starting to get thorns in my yard. I've got to mow the grass. Anyways, the thorns in Israel can grow up to be six feet tall. You guys ever seen a six foot tall briar bush? I mean, big, big. So you, you kind of get the picture of this thorny soil. It shows growth. And all of a sudden, inside invaders, inside meaning they come from underneath. They come from the soil. And the plant that showed so much progress is now being choked out by this six-foot-tall weed. It's taking the nutrients. It's taking the pH balance out of the soil. Everything is going wrong. This is what I call the distracted disciple. They're really focused. You see growth. Martin, they come to your Sunday school class. They, they come to the ladies' group. They're great people, but all of a sudden, it's like bright light. I mean, they get distracted. They were doing so well. There was growth, but all of a sudden, there's no fruit. It doesn't, it doesn't, grow, to, grow, it doesn't grow to maturity. And Jesus gives us the distinction. He said that people, they love the, worry, excuse me, the worries of this life, the riches of this world, and the pleasures. They take a priority over God. So they started off really well, but they fell in love with other things. So in other words, they like Jesus, but they really love money. And as we've said before, money is a great servant, but a horrible master. And money should serve you, but you should never serve money. So they get distracted by wealth. They like Jesus, but they love status. I mean, following Jesus, if it means selling out and losing the status, it's a struggle. And they forget that. The only status you need is to know that you're famous in your father's eyes. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about you. They like Jesus, but they love control. And the only control they need to realize is you need self-control when you get under God's control. They like Jesus, but they love pleasure. And is pleasure a good thing? Pleasure is great if it's found in the blessings of God. But pleasure in the worldly sense is temporary. And sin is fun for a short time. Let's get, that, let's get that right. A lot of times in churches we're like, sin is yucky and horrible. It's horrible and is yucky, but it is fun for a season. And the pleasures of this world don't last. And they leave you bitter instead of better. So the world is offering stuff that doesn't last. And it reminds me, I've shared this story with some of you on Wednesday night. I had a friend that was um, in seminary with me, a bright young man. And he was an evangelist. He would go from church to church and share his testimony. He came from a, a very um, non-Christian background. In fact, it was a Muslim background. And things were going really well. Fruitful ministry. And all of a sudden, he started having thorns in his life. He saw, started falling in love with money. So money took the priority over ministry. And whenever he did ministry, it was to get money. It was no longer about the gospel. And the thorns kept growing thicker and thicker, and the guy who started off well, over time he turned into a con artist where he began to con churches so that he could get money. True story. And the thorns just kept growing in the weeds to where it choked it out. And to this day, I haven't talked to him in years, to this day, he still hasn't repented. He still thinks he's okay because the weeds, the weeds are sucking out all the nutrients. 
So on your listening guide, I have an acrostic weeds. You know, what is robbing me of my potential in Christ? What is choking the life out? There are weeds. The W stands for weaknesses within me that come out when I least expect them. You ever have something happen and just trigger something in you and it's just like, man, where did that come from? It's like bitterness, for an example. The bitter root just comes out and someone says something that wasn't even that bad, but it triggers this bitterness and it goes way back to what someone did years ago. The E is for envying, envying what others have so much that it takes away my relationship and my focus on what it needs to be. It affects my relationship with others. It affects my relationship with God. And because I envy, my fellowship is diminished. You still have the relationship with God, but it's diminished. And um, I, I joked a few weeks ago with you guys, it's like seeing someone's Facebook news feed and they're eating at Ruth Chris and you've got ramen noodle. They're at the beach and you're in your backyard mowing the grass and you're like, must be nice. <laughs> it's easy to do, right? The weeds. The other E stands for enemies. They come against you and want to take you out. Notice the weeds, they come from underneath. You don't anticipate them. You don't expect them. These weeds. And the D stands for desires that begin to draw me away from God. There are good desires. If you pursue God, he'll give you the desires of your heart. But then there is those desires of the world. Like I said, they're fun for a little while, but they, they're temporary fun. There's really no substance to them. And the S is self-indulgence. At the expense of my relationship with God and others, I just indulge. And uh, something to realize is, you guys remember uh, the acrostic joy? Thank you, Teresa Stone, for giving me this this morning. But you learn this in Sunday school. Jesus, others, and yourself. Another way to say it is, I am third. As long as I put Jesus first and center, others second, I'm third. It's going to keep the weeds from growing. But whenever you're first, guess what happens? The weeds start emerging. So that, that hurts us. But on a positive note, you, you guys know I always try to end on a positive note, right? You're like, stop. This soil is killing me. All right. You notice this is already growing a plant. I think I need to water it some. But this is good soil. Okay, it's real soil. It's not cow manure. I was just making sure. No, no joke in a jar, right? So this is good soil. That would have been bad, Judy, if there was cow manure. And they'd be like, <clears throat> all right. So this is good soil. And the thing about soil, this is not in your listening guide, but I want you to write this down. There's five observations about good soil. The first one is the rocks have to be removed. So when you have a soil with rocks, if you want it to look like this, you have to remove all the rocks. Otherwise, it's going to stunt the growth. Okay, what's something else, number two? Not only do the rocks have to be removed, but what are these? The weeds, the thorns. You've got to de-weed it, pluck the roots out. The thorns have to be removed. And then the ground has to be, what is it when you get it on the plow? You have to till it. The ground has to be plowed. And that's symbolic of your heart being soft again. Just like when you're a new believer, receptive again toward the things of God. And then you start sowing seed. You start sowing seed. Hey girls, front row, catch. All right, you're, you're sowing seeds. Paying attention now, right? <laughs> you better pay attention. You don't know what's going to fly at you in a church. So the seeds come at you. And the seeds represents the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active. 
didn't Henry David Thoreau say, in every acorn are a thousand forests? So think about that. In every seed are potentially thousands of people that you can change. Because one life could impact another life, could impact another life, and it could be Billy Graham at the end of that. You think about in every gospel seed, there's thousands of potential lives that could be changed. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall never pass away. So, let's, let's think about smart sowers. This is the final point and close to this. Smart sowers know this, this one truth. What is coming? The harvest is coming. In this passage, what's remarkable, the person had a harvest a hundred times what was sown. A hundred more seeds for every seed sown. And in the Palestinian culture, they would estimate a good harvest was seven and a half to ten times as much was sown. Seven and a half to tenfold. So a hundredfold, you're like, how is that possible? Let me tell you how it's possible. God doesn't need us. But when he uses us and we co-labor with him, he multiplies the harvest. In other words, because Jesus is working through me and in me by the power of the Spirit, when God gets a hold of something, it's a God-sized harvest. You can't do it on your own. So there are people in this room within the sound of my voice, you've never had a hundredfold harvest, but God wants you to. You've never had something miraculous happen, but God wants to see it. And it could be as simple as this. This is part of the vision of this church. Every year, we're asking every church member, every regular tender to win one person to Christ, disciple that person, grow them. Each one reach one. Imagine if everyone in here every year gave birth to a new baby in Christ. You threw the seed out. And yes, some landed on thorny ground. Some landed on hard ground. Some landed on the wayside. But... You never know who God has already prepared the soil of their heart and the receptive. We just got to keep throwing the seed. And I better stop throwing because I have a lot to vacuum up here in a little bit. (laughs) So smart sowers know that the harvest is coming. So don't give up. The harvest is coming. So keep sowing. The harvest is coming if you don't give up, if you don't lose heart. Mark Twain once said, it ain't those parts in the Bibles I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. So folks, if, if we could just summarize this simply, many of us, our greatest problem is not our circumstances. Our greatest problem is not that we had a bad year or a car door fell off. Our greatest problem is the hearing problem. Whenever you hear the word of God, do you respond or do you get hard? Is your main thought about church is to break down and analyze what goes on? Or are you coming to be not just informed but transformed? Are you coming to leave changed? Oh, to God, Arden first, that each of us is good soil. May he pluck out the rocks. May he de-weed all those briars and weeds so that we can be good soil and we can bear forth the harvest. Amen. So look on the screen, our sermon in a sentence, if we could summarize this whole message in one thought, it's this. A faithful disciple is always a fruitful disciple. A faithful disciple is always a fruitful disciple. Let us pray. Father, I know this message was challenging for all of us. Because there's been times where we have rocks, our hearts hard. And you, you tell us. 
that you want to take away the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. We know that. And there's other times where weeds get in. There's sins and there's temptations and there's struggles and there's challenges. And we know the weeds are there, but we've just learned to live with the weeds. We've learned to just grow comfortable with the weeds. And God, there's others in here that are producing fruit, but they've never reached their full potential of a hundredfold. And God, help those of us who are in that category to realize it's not us. It's, it's us laboring with Jesus. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. He wants to use us. And if we'll just be willing, he will produce God-sized results that only he can get credit for. So as everyone prays, no one looking around, would there be anyone that would say, Timothy, there's been weeds, there's been stones, there's been wayside hard places. And going forward in, in July of 2018, I want God to remove the rocks. I want him to pluck out the weeds. I want him to till the soil. And I want him to plant the seed. That's your prayer. Raise your hand. I'm I'm raising my hand with you. God, you see our hands. We repent for those areas of sin. We repent for where we don't respond to God's word with a yes when you tell us to. Or where we analyze and criticize and critique instead of we're changed by the message. Lord, forgive us. Help us. And Lord, make us good soil. I pray for each believer, Arden First, that we would produce a good crop. I know some will be 30-fold, 60-fold, and some 100-fold. As the believers continue to pray, is there one here today that maybe you've never received Jesus? Yeah, you've, you've heard the gospel. You know that Jesus died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again. But you've never really had a life transformation. You may have said a prayer, but there's never been a change in your life. If that's you, right where you're sitting. And you want to repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Right where you're sitting. Say, Jesus, I'm tired of being a wayside wanderer. I'm tired of just hearing and not, not changing me. And I pray that you would come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. And God, I repent of my sins. I'm sorry. Take away the stone. Take away the thorns. And help me be the person, the man, the woman that you want me to be. I make you my Lord and my Savior, my everything. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Father, thank you that you've given us the seed, the word of God, so that we can change lives. We thank you that Jesus Christ is the only hope for this world. And in him we trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This time, we're going to have a special hymn of invitation But before we do so, our usher is going to come forward and we're going to take up an offering. Some of you may not know William, but he and his wife Starsky just started coming to the church. They're part of the first service. So we wanted you guys to meet. We're Starsky. Okay, this is Starsky, lovely bride. There's a lot of people in the first service we want you guys to meet. So William is going to be singing a special song. But we're going to take up our offering. And as the offering passes by, I'll be at the front. And Miss Judy, if you guys have anything, prayer requests, we'll be here to pray with you. It's just going to be a response through giving, through prayer, and I want you guys to enjoy this music and think about what lies on the other side because of the good news. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the women we talked about today that invested in the kingdom. We thank you for um, Herod's money manager's wife that gave of resources so that the gospel 
could go out. And we know that God doesn't want anything from us. He wants everything for us. So, Lord, as we give our money, our time, our talents, our treasures, help us to know this is for us. This is for the kingdom. This is When we give, it, it changes us. It makes our heart receptive. But, Lord, we know it's not just for us. We know it's for others. We know as we give, we're, we're impacting the lives of others. So, Lord, help us always remember we are third, that Jesus is first, others are second, and we are third. So, Lord, as we give of our money, we thank you that it is going to change us, but we thank you that it's going to impact our world. Use it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.